Welcome to the Ben Don't Break podcast. I am Aaron Schweitzer, your host with the mentally gymnastic co-hostess Laurel Bronst. <laughs> this podcast is powered by the Source Weekly, Ben's locally owned newspaper. Listeners tune in to find out how our community is adapting to living in our new normal. This week, we are chatting with Dr. Sabrina Hadid Dewey. She is a licensed professional counselor, an approved clinical supervisor, and a counselor educator. She earned her PhD in counseling with a major in counselor education and supervision from Oregon State University. She has experience in wilderness therapy, crisis intervention, individual and family work, and currently runs the group practice Bend Ecotherapy remotely. Dr. Hadid Dewey also currently teaches as an adjunct professor for Montana State University's online graduate addiction counseling program and for Oregon State University Cascades graduate counseling program as well. Currently, OSU Cascades is offering free telehealth counseling services to adults in Central Oregon through its student clinic. We will put the link for that opportunity in the show notes at the end. Uh, thank you for joining us, Sabrina. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So let's start off with your background in wilderness therapy. I imagine integrating nature into the counseling experience is something that people in Bend are drawn to. And um, what are some of the direct connections between psychological health and the outdoors that you see in your practice? Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. So the list is long. I mean, you know, simply put, there are health benefits overall, sort of holistic health benefits to being outdoors um, in nature. You know, it, it can decrease um, high blood pressure. It can, um, there are studies that show that it decreases risk of heart disease. Um, you know, it, just breathing fresh air can be really helpful for stress reducing, uh, vitamin D from the sun. Uh, movement in the outdoors, moving your body can also, you know, uh, decrease stress and increase healthy blood flow. Um, and so the link really is decreasing stress helps with mental health across the board. I mean, I think everybody can relate to that. The less stress that we feel, the more relaxed we feel, um, the, the better able we are to manage stress and manage, you know, other, other challenges in our life. So so I think the most direct link is just that being outside, even if, even if you're stationary, um, can really help you feel more relaxed and, th and that directly impacts how you feel. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is, you know, Bend is full of the outdoor overachiever. And if, uh, it, but you're saying that even if I were simply to schedule in some time to stand out in the well, yes. it would be snow today, but stand out in the sunlight or breathe in the fresh air, that would be enough to enjoy some of the mental health benefits that I would, that the Absolutely. outdoors brings. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Especially right now, because we're spending more time, you know, since the start of the pandemic, I think people have certainly gotten creative about how they can break up the monotony of just every day kind of being at home. If you're working remotely in particular, um, teaching kids at home, things like that. So I think we've gotten creative, but it's still just not as much as, at least that's what I'm experiencing, um, not just myself, but that I'm hearing from clients is that they're just not spending as much time outside because everything is harder 
and I know we'll yeah. maybe spend a little time talking about that later, but, you know, you have to plan around whether or not there's going to be parking, you know, I know people that usually go up to bachelor that that's just been harder that, because of the pandemic and the restrictions and, and so even just making it a point every day to make sure that you're stepping outside, you know, we're not going to the store as much, we're not going to the coffee shops, we're not right. leaving our house, walking to our car, getting out of our car, walking to this next place, we're missing all of those small moments outside that matter. So the commitment to, to spending time outdoors doesn't have to be great and grand and, and you know, a well planned out adventure. Um, it can just be step outside, feel the, feel the wind on your face, the sun or snow. <laughs> I'm, I'm certainly one of those people. I think, uh, you know, kudos to my wife. She, she makes me at least walk outside, even if I can't, cause I'm one of those people. And I think I fall in the bend category. If I can't think of the activity that is going to happen after work, then outside is not going to happen. It's, it's, yeah. it's gotta be the to do on the to do list for exercise mm -hmm. or improvement or whatever it's going to be. That's right. It's, it's a very common phenomenon, yeah. this having to feel productive right. when, you know, being outside or even productive, I call it productive rest. People struggle with this notion of product that rest, that stillness can be really productive. Yeah. Um, we interviewed you for a couple of articles over the past year about uh, mental health in the time of COVID, and it's actually what gave birth to this podcast at its core. And one of the themes we discussed was COVID burnout. And um, when we published the article, it was only a couple months in, and it seems like it's, you know, we're now over a year can you describe what does COVID burnout look like now and how has it deepened or changed? Yeah, yeah, it's such a good question. I, I really appreciate the question um, of how it's changed or how it's deepened. Um, you know, I think how, it's, how I've seen it change for a lot of folks, how they're experiencing it is similar, but more, um, I think more intense um, if that makes sense. So like in the beginning of the pandemic, I think, you know, a lot of people were experiencing this, um, you know, ho hopelessness or sort of like the burnout of the unknown, burnout of uncertainty. We didn't know a lot about, you know, how long are we going to be in this? Um, is this a, is this a three month endurance <laughs> battle or right. is this longer? Um, and how bad is this really? You know, there was so much unknown that, that burnout from that, the burnout from uncertainty, uncertainty and decision fatigue. I know we talked about that um, in that previous interview was much more on the surface. And now I think the shift is what I would call sort of the hope despair roller coaster, you know, where people are finding things to be, to, to be hopeful about. Like, you know, some folks are hopeful about the vaccine. Um, folks are hopeful about just, you know, we've been in it long enough that we have systems in place that are helping um, address some of the earlier barriers. So, you know, sort of um, being creative with how we socialize with others rather than feeling like we can't at all. Sure. Um, you know, things like that. But then despair, I think I'm seeing just sadness, frustration, fatigue, uh, feeling like everything's harder um, is also still really present for, for people. Um, and it's, and it's, 
I think um, it's similar to running a race where you don't know where the finish line is. You, you, you know, it's when we see it, when we see an end in sight, we're much more likely psychologically to be motivated to finish the race, no matter how hard it is. Right. But yeah. if we can't see the finish line, where's the motivation to, you know, to keep going. And, 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 and so it, it goes back and forth, I think with people, you know, I spend a lot of time talking to clients about one day at a time, you know, just taking it one day at a time, one moment at a time and normalizing the struggle, you know, the hashtag, the struggle is real is, is, so <laughs> right, is so right on. I mean, it is real. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, those are, those are my, those are my thoughts about kind of how it's, how the burnout has changed. I, I used an analogy in, in one of the previous podcasts where, um, it feels sometimes like I'm walking next to folks who are, you know, it's like the person when you're going on the hike up the mountain and they're always pointing out that they think like just up ahead is the summit. I, I think that's the summit and you get there and it's a false and it's like, oh, I think, I think that's the summit. And you're just on this like, don't, we'll, the summit, we'll get to the summit in good time, but you're, you're killing me. Yeah. Totally. So. That's a, such a good example. Yeah. It's like, you know, distractions from looking for the finish line because we just don't know where it is. And, and, and for a lot of folks, the final thing about how it's shifted, burnout shifted is that things have gotten easier for some and harder for some, much sure. harder for some, you know, people that have been unemployed and receiving unemployment benefits, those benefits have run out or people that thought they'd be able to go back to work, um, but, but, but weren't, you know, they, because companies downsized or went out of business um, or they're still not comfortable putting their kids in school. And so they're not able to go back to work even though their work is you know, welcoming them back with COVID precautions. So it's the burnout is also from, you know, from, from those yeah. struggles as well. Sure. Yeah. So adding to that culture of burnout has also been, um, I think a year of like a lot of heightened judgment and, and moralizing. And I know that um, at least I have felt a little more on edge and sort of scared that maybe I'm going to do or say the wrong thing or forget a mask or get canceled or condemned on some level. I'm just wondering if you could talk about like what you're seeing out there with, you know, a lot of like cultural shifts and things that are happening now too. Oh, absolutely. I think the judgment culture is a good way to put it. Um, you know, I think across the board, almost everyone that, that I work with is experiencing just fatigue of judgment. And it's not just coming from external forces like other people um, or other or messages. It's coming from internally. It's coming from their own judgment, um, you know, kind of second guessing decisions that they've made. Um, you know, I think that there, I mean, we know as a nation, there's a lot of polarizing happening. There's a lot of like us and them or this side and that side. Um, and it's really hard. That's a really hard reality. It's not one, it's not realistic um, because we don't live in a world where you fall into this category or that category. You know, we are human beings and, and we exist on a spectrum of, you know, compl beautiful complexity. And, and so I think, you know, part of this judgment culture that comes from sort of like this duality is 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 really problematic for people and it's everywhere it's not just you know judgment about how your 
the precautions you're taking for COVID. It's also judgment about whether or not you want, it's vaccine judgment, right? Where the, whether or not you are willing to get the vaccine, going to get the vaccine, and then judgment around if you're eligible for the vaccine, you know, um, but you can work from home, does that mean you shouldn't go get it? Um, choices about kids, you know, putting your kids back in school or not putting your kids back in school, being an educator and being on the fence about whether you think it's safe to go back. And, you know, you have the administration telling you that you're allowed to and that they want you to. And so the judgment is just, I mean, it's so complex and it's so real for people. And, and, and imagine, you know, feeling judgment from all angles, how exhausting that is mentally and how it can impact every aspect of your life. So, you know, feeling judged at work or feeling judged uh, by family members you don't live with or even friends. I have heard so many folks talk about losing friends because of, you know, choices that they're making that are yeah. pandemic related. And, you know, now we're, now we're talking about grief as well. I'm, gr I'm grieving the loss of my, you know, my good friends that are also my neighbors because they saw me not wear a mask one day when I was talking to someone else, or, you know, right. I posted something about getting a vaccine and they don't agree with, I mean, it's just, it's, yeah, it's do super you, complex. Do you think that, I mean, one of the things that I've noticed over the course of time with this is that people, and maybe this is because we, we did get so polarized under the previous administration, but it was just very easy to identify with your political party. And a lot of your friends fell into that political party characterization and, I've seen people really struggling as, you know, the pandemic has gone forward because this is a health related issue. And while some of the issues can be focused around politics, really, when you start talking to it, these are very personal choices. They're things that come from a very deep value system that you probably got from your, from your parents or from hopefully from your readings and stuff. But either way, what I've, what I see is this, struggle with people in a gray area where you know they can't assign it to a blue or a red and and they're like well where do you stand are you quote conservative about covid and it just doesn't fit doesn't fit for me and i think it's i've seen in the same way you have a lot of friends who are just kind of puzzling as they hear conflicting ideas for their own system which they believe is based in a political party yeah yeah that's absolutely right yeah and it's, I think people are afraid, you know, people are, I mean, they're living in fear, fear, even if it's, um, again, different degrees of fear sure. based on your life situation um, and identity in the world. Uh, but there's an, but there's an, just a, a, a pulse of fear for everybody, afraid to say the wrong thing, afraid if they, you know, signal about a political, I had a, I had a, a, a new neighbor come over the other day that was wearing an Obama hat. And, you know, I noticed the hat out loud and made it and made a statement about it. And the person said, you know, I almost didn't wear it over because you just never know. And I thought, oh, <laughs> like, what if, what if, what a, what a world we're living in right now where yeah. we're worried about the kind of hat signaling or, you know, the other thing that's happening with social that I've observed social justice related is, you know, this really exciting, beautifully complex um, idea of being really loud and let, you know, like, let's get loud and let's, you know, be bold. And then there are folks that don't feel comfortable being loud or it's not right. safe to be loud and they're making choices about that. And, and then there comes the judgment again, or just feeling like you're not good enough, right? These, these 
these um, uh, cognitive beliefs that we all have that can be really damaging, um, you know, like I'm not enough or um, it's my fault, you know, things like that. I'm, I'm hearing just a lot of, of that and feeling guilty and um, it's, yeah, layered. Well, that brings us to an, another question about um, impacts of isolation. And, you know, we're all like we are right now, we're Zooming and Laurel and I have, have many times talked about what the difference between this podcast would be if we were all sitting around a table and we were having an adult beverage or whatever it was that turned it into more of a social thing instead of the fact that we're separated by a camera as we are in all these meetings. Um, and what are you seeing from people in terms of how they're dealing with that long-term isolation? I mean, we all know it's not good, but I think it's hard for people outside of your field to understand like really how, how impactful it, it is. Oh my goodness. It, it is, it is probably the number one most difficult uh, circumstance that that people are struggling with right now and again I know we keep saying I keep using the word spectrum but of course there is there's differing degrees and it's just a sure. spectrum of how people experience isolation and um, one thing to notice that isolation isn't just as 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 you both as you both know isolation isn't just about like someone that lives alone right or someone that's confined to their room because they're in assisted living you know or something like that isolate, you can feel isolated with, you know, your six family members, you can feel isolated um, in, even though you've got your, you know, sort of safe pod. Um, I think, I think people are actually getting to know what it means to feel disconnected and isolated differently than we ever had. Um, and, and so it's, it's just, it's coming up for a lot of people. And, and, and I spend a lot of time talking about ways to get creative to challenge that even if it is as, you know, similar to the outdoor conversation of just being, you know, stationary outside, um, having some interpersonal contact every day becomes really important outside your immediate circle, right? So not just your family members, because everyone knows we get really sick of the people that we see day after day. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's important to, to break away from that. Um, and it's safe to do that at a, di you know, at a distance, masked up outside, you know, all the different um, guidelines. And so just really challenging yourself to do that. Um, and knowing that, and, and you know, here's the thing too that I always say is that everyone else is experiencing this. So chances are, and I've experienced this in my neighborhood, you know, people are eager, much more eager to chat when I walk down the street than they were a year ago. Oh yeah, no, the breakthrough that you can have yeah. when you just simply call somebody up who's a client or someone yeah. you have just a moderate relationship and the outpouring of emotion that comes through for connecting with somebody for, yeah. I don't know, maybe it's their first time in weeks, who knows? Yeah. yeah, for sure. So just little ways to challenge that I think has been, has been helpful, but, and knowing you're not alone. I mean, this is, this is the new normal, that expression. I mean, people are across the board feeling really isolated and some people much, much harder than others. You know, if you're yeah. immunocompromised, if you're elderly, I mean, you know, if, if you just, um, you know, for whatever reason, you're not able to get creative with uh, being less isolated or, or, you know, what I'm seeing is an underlying, if you started out already having problems with social anxiety, if you started out already having problems with isolation, it has become so much harder and so much more important to find those little ways to, to break that isolation. 
So on that vein of thought, it's been pretty amazing to um, watch mental health professionals just dive in with both feet into telehealth. And um, I think I read an article that something like 75% are practicing telehealth now up from maybe five or 10% before. So could you talk a little bit about some of the both benefits and the challenges for for clients and mental health professionals? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so one of the courses I teach actually this term at OSU is uh, has the focus of telehealth. Um, oh yeah, I'm in that. I should which you're in. Full disclosure. <laughs> Full That's disclosure. Right. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. So, um, so I've actually, I've taken a deep dive into learning more about telehealth and understanding the, you know, the, the ins and outs, the, the issues, the barriers, the, uh, the ways that it's helpful. Um, I think my biggest takeaways are, you know, telehealth is a really, it's always been, even before the pandemic, a really great way for people to, people that have access, that have a computer, that have internet access to make it to sessions, you know, when maybe before it wasn't as easy um, to just log onto your computer and show up. And so I think that that's been really helpful for folks, um, especially the, being in a pandemic where you don't feel like it's safe to, to be in person. Um, so you're able to get your, you know, continue to meet with your therapist or even, you know, get a new therapist because now you're under more stress and you're struggling just like everybody is, you know, the uptick of need for services has been incredible. Um, so I think the biggest benefit is access. And it's also one of the biggest barriers because as we know, we live in a world where not everybody has access. And so that's been, you know, a struggle. I think I, even for, you know, I can't speak specifically for OSU clinic, but I know you know, in talking with students that, 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 that at the beginning of the pandemic, that was really hard to, to sort of know how they were going to meet clients' needs that are already, you know, um, either don't have insurance or, um, you know, can't afford out-of-pocket counseling, um, how they would have access. I think, I think the other biggest struggle with telehealth is in adolescents and kids, you know, little kids. You know, we could have done play therapy in the office, um, much more easily before uh, the pandemic. And now those kids are having to do it online and therapists are really having to stretch to find creative ways to do. I mean, how do you do? We didn't, nobody got training. You know, even if you're certified play therapist, there wasn't really training in how to do play therapy online. You know, how to work with kids in a, in a telehealth setting. Their attention span and concentration, we know this, anybody that has little kids knows that it's just, they're not able to focus for long periods of time, even in an office, let alone on a computer. And, and um, the burnout from being on you know, computer for adults, um, people, I often say like, I just didn't wanna get on another Zoom call. I just didn't wanna have another video conference. Um, and then the final thought I have is, um, you know, I had actually a student ask me a couple weeks ago, what was the thing that I missed the most when, you know, in offering telehealth, being doing telehealth now for quite some time. And I said that it was the energy exchange that, that comes with being in person. There's an energy exchange. We know this. Um, 
And eye contact, we also know that eye contact is really important for the, the chemicals in our brain to be stimulated and for you know all of those neurons to fire up. We're not getting that. I mean, we're, we have eye contact in the remote world, but it's just not the same. Um, you can't pick up, I'm a gesticulator. You can't see that up here if I'm talking to you down here. Like, you know, <laughs> yes. that's that energy. It just doesn't come through. Totally. Know, but... <laughs> Which, you know, it's, it's, Aaron, it's a perfect example. I've learned how, and I talk about this in the class, I've learned how to really be intentional with how I move on a camera. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put, I put my, my hands on my heart more so than I did before. Yeah. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll take deep breaths much more audibly. I'll lean forward. I'll lean back. I'll, I'll check in, you know, with people differently than I would in person, be, you know, because it is hard. It's hard to read. Like, I, are you tearful? I mean, it looks like maybe you're tearful, right? And pick, yeah. I, are you tearful right now versus being in person or, or even noticing, you know, somebody getting flushed, you know, from anxiety, some of those um, nonverbal you know, more subtle things we miss in telehealth. So just kind of learning how to, to check in with that. I'm going to, after seeing that, I'm going to, I need to start incorporating more of that <laughs> in, above camera hand, yeah. hand messaging. Laurel, <laughs> we need to take note. That's podcast stuff too. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, uh, um, one of the, <clears throat> changing the topic a little bit, uh, interesting trend that's emerged during COVID is, um, you know, the pivot. Everybody likes to talk about what's their pivot or, or what's the change that's happened to them during this time. What, what are they doing now? Are they writing the great American novel? Are they, you know, now a yogi expert that nobody knows about in their playroom? And, um, but, you know, is there, I, I've wondered, you know, one, it, is this going to hold after we get back to old normal? And um, and two, is it is it is it a healthy sign that you know as things kind of quieted, slowed down? That you know, I mean, you can see that frantic kind of. It's not just a bend thing, but it's certainly prevalent here with the type A's of like, hey, uh, something's got to fill this void. What what are your thoughts on that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I I I think that it. It serves a really healthy purpose, you know, to have to have something to put energy into. I know I've experienced that since the pandemic, like this, this feeling of, you know, I just, I, I want something to kind of pour my energy into because I don't have these other things. Um, so in some ways, it's really healthy, you know, to, to, to start writing that novel you always wanted to write or, <laughs> right. you know, to, to, to get one of those thousand piece puzzles that you hadn't done since you were whatever, younger, um, you know, to remodel your bathroom. I mean, house remodeling projects are are have, have like tripled and quadrupled since the pandemic. yeah well for the record i tried the puzzle and it was not fulfilling so <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying go down that road <laughs> yeah i i think it's really natural and normal um to to want to have something to kind of you know energetically put your put your heart into or even use it as a distraction you know i i know some folks have gotten into crossword puzzles again you know which is great and i also you know think that some people struggle with just being in stillness and just quiet you know sort of slowing down and um for the type like you said type a folks um that's harder it's particularly harder and um 
I want to normalize it. Like, you know, it's so individualized for people. It's really important to remember that, that I, you know, as a practitioner, I try to stay away from generalizations, even about type type A people, um, because every type A person is going to be different. And the conversation I would want to have with somebody that's, that maybe comes you know, to me as a client and says, well, I'm really struggling with the balance in my life. Like, I just want, you know, I just, I just want to be doing more and I just don't feel like I'm doing more. You know, I would probably start to talk about what is that, what is that about for them? You know, what is, what does it mean to them to be productive? What does it mean to them to rest? Uh, when was, you know, what's the longest period of time that you can go uh, without having a distraction? And for some people, it's really important that they not go long periods of time, you know, because it helps offset depression or it helps, you know, offset, um, you know, whatever it is, a spike in anxiety. So, so in some ways it can be really adaptive to constantly have something to, to do. And I don't know, I mean, it's, I think it's easy to judge whether to say, well, that's not healthy, but it's different for everybody. For right now, it might be the healthiest thing just sure. stay occupied and distracted and stay the course and for others <laughs> and try yeah. not to go into that quiet place where you might actually think about what's happening right like maybe uh, that's helpful right, right. yeah <laughs> so you have a brother who had one of the rare cases of h1n1 and um had to be put on a ventilator this was a number of years ago um, how has that experience affected your response to COVID? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think in a number of ways. The first thing that comes to mind that kind of made me smile was that when this, um, when COVID first began, you know, sort of last March, mid to end of March, um, I think I sent my brother a text message that said, well, brother, at least you don't have to take precautions because what are the chances that you would get COVID after almost dying of H1N1? You know, you're in the clear. I made some kind of joke, you know. Um, so it was, on, it, was, it was certainly on my mind um, from the beginning was like, you know, we went through, I mean, it was just, it was torture with my brother. Um, he, he was given less than a 10% chance to live. He was in a wow. medically induced yeah, coma for, you know, 16 days, I think, um, up in Seattle in a hospital there. And, you know, he's a young guy, no underlying conditions, all, all the things that you hear that are outliers. Um, he shouldn't have gotten that sick, uh, but he did. And, um, and the thing that has, I almost get choked up thinking about it because the thing that has been so powerful for me personally, and even my family during this pandemic is just, the reality that when my brother was sick with H1N1, we were allowed to stay in the hospital. We lived in that waiting room. We went home to sleep and then we just lived. We had set up camp. We have photos of like, you know, people bringing potluck and there was a gathering that happened. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we, we prayed together. We sang together. We cried together. We went and spoke to him, even though the doctor said, well, he probably can't hear you. Um, we played music for him. We got to be as close to him and his process as, as one would want to be with someone they love. And COVID, we know that that is not possible. And so my heart has been really impacted just thinking about how hard that is for people. 
and then healthcare workers as well. You know, I, I still to this day have sent a thank you card every year to that hospital, to the, to the ICU staff, and probably the staff has completely changed now, but you know, just how grateful we were for, for just round the clock care that he had. And, and so that, you know, when I see people appreciating healthcare workers, for me, it's, um, it, it, it touches back to what my brother went through and, and how much harder it is because they, the healthcare workers themselves don't have the capacity. They don't, you know, uh, they're working much harder than they did. Like with my brother, you know, they got to go home and, and socialize with their people. They got to do the activities to take care of themselves, to restore balance. The healthcare workers, you know, right now are, are facing the same challenge as we are. They don't, ha they don't have as much access um, to, to self-care, so. Those, yeah. Dr. Dew, we're almost out of time, but I wanted to um, ask you if, what you feel, what's the most important thing that people can do for their own mental health right now, if you had to pick the top one or two preservation uh, techniques? You know, honestly, I would say have grace with yourself. Have compassion with yourself. Treat yourself the way that you treat the person in your life that you love the most. You know, have patience and grace and remind yourself you're doing the best that you can. That, that's the thing I say over and over every week in almost every session. And I, and I believe it. Well, thank you for joining us on, on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, this has been the Ben Don't Break podcast. We appreciate you listening and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Take care. Thank you.